September 30th, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, through chapter 2, verse 18. But whatever happens to me, Paul, you Philippians, must live in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ, as citizens of heaven. Then, whether I come and see you again, or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing side by side, fighting together for the good news. Don't be intimidated by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God Himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for Him. We are in this fight together. You have seen me suffer for Him in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of this great struggle. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from His love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and sympathetic? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one heart and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't live to make a good impression on others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't think only about your own affairs, but be interested in others too and what they are doing. Your attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had. Though He was God, He did not demand and cling to His rights as God. He made Himself nothing. He took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. And in human form, He obediently humbled Himself even further by dying a criminal's death on a cross. Because of this, God raised him up to the heights of heaven and gave him a name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Dearest friends, you were always so careful to follow my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, you must be even more careful to put into action God's saving work in your lives, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire to obey Him and the power to do what pleases Him. In everything you do, stay away from complaining and arguing, so that no one can speak a word of blame against you. You are to live clean, innocent lives as children of God in a dark world full of crooked and perverse people. Let your lives shine brightly before them. Hold tightly to the word of life, so that when Christ returns, I will be proud that I did not lose the race and that my work was not useless. But even if my life is to be poured out like a drink offering to complete the sacrifice of your faithful service, that is, if I am to die for you, I will rejoice, and I want to share my joy with all of you. And you should be happy about this and rejoice with me. Last year, the number one motion picture in the United States, and I suppose throughout the world, that drew the largest box office, was a motion picture that was made just for a small amount of money. Nobody ever thought it would amount to much. It was based upon a simple little story, and it was called Love Story. And a headline in the British papers said, 
the greatest love story of the century. But the greatest love story of all time is summed up in these 25 verses, oh, 25 words, that someone is called a miniature Bible, the gospel in a nutshell. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The greatest love story ever told. For God. Do you ever stop and think about God? Many people are thinking about God today because we've seen that science does not have an answer to all of our problems. We are seeing that technology cannot solve all of our problems. And so thousands of young people in Europe and in America are beginning to talk about God. Some of them are going to India to see if they can find peace in their hearts. Some of them are going and studying yoga. And they're going into all sorts of different sects and groups searching for God. Some of them are going out into the desert and sitting under the stars and watching the stars. Have you ever wondered about God? Someone asked me at a university one day, can you prove God exists? And I answered, no. I cannot put God in a test tube. I cannot put God in a laboratory and say, here's God. How do I know that God exists? All the evidence seems to indicate that he does. I look up in the starry sky and I say, there must be a God. I look at the beautiful nature round about me and I say, there must be a God. I see the birth of a baby. Gary Player was telling us yesterday how he saw the birth of his last child. And he said, as I watched that, I knew that there had to be a God. But there's another reason. Deep in your heart, you have a conscience. And your conscience tells you there must be a God. Something down inside tells me there must be a God. Now, the amazing thing about the human conscience is this. But even if you don't believe what I'm saying, you believe what I'm saying. But even if you reject the truth of what I'm saying, there is rooted inside you a conviction which you can suppress with the years, but which is there nonetheless, which is telling you that these things are so. And this truth is the truth which the scripture will not let us forget and the Bible tells us that this God is the creator of all the universe. In Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now in that passage in Genesis 1, there is no explanation. There's no attempt to prove God. It just says, in the beginning, God. Because everybody believes in God. Oh, but you say, I've met some atheists. You met some atheists that hadn't had any real trouble yet. But you find a person who claims he's an atheist and let someone announce to him that he has terminal and you'll say, my God, help me. Or he get into a battle or get into a difficult spot, he'll say, my God, help me. Yes, all men know that there must be a God. He is the creator. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. Now the Bible tells us God is a spirit. God doesn't have a body like yours. If God had a body like yours, 
He would have to be in one place at one time. But God doesn't have a body like yours. God is a spirit. And God can be in Africa. He can be in Asia. He can be in Europe. He can be in America all at the same time. He can be on a planet. He can be on the moon at the same time. I've talked to some of those astronauts that went to the moon. And they told me that they knew as they went around the moon, there must be a God. I talked to some of the prisoners of war from Vietnam just a few days before I came on this trip. I talked to those first prisoners that came back to the United States and they told us in those prison cells for eight years in Vietnam, they knew there was a God. God is a spirit. The Bible tells us that God is unchanging. He never changes. Fashions change. Every part of our culture and life changes. And vast changes are underway throughout the world. The jet plane, modern communications have made it impossible. Fashions change, culture changes, technology changes, but God never changes. The Bible says, I am the Lord God, I change not. The Bible says, there is no variableness, nor shadow of turning with God. God has not changed in thousands of years. 10,000 times 10,000 years from now, God will be the same. God is from everlasting to everlasting. God does not change. But the Bible also teaches that God is a God of love. That God loves. I'm glad that's in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. That God is a God of love and mercy and grace. And that God loves everybody. I don't care who you are. He has the hairs of your head numbered. He sees the sparrow fall. He's interested in you and he loves you.